You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Welcome to the final episode of 2018 for Tigers. That's already here on SportsRadioDetroit.com. As uh, joined side me, Chris Brown. As this, we're not going to be talking Tigers. Maybe for all of maybe what ten seconds, I think, Chris. Right? Yeah. Yeah, ten seconds. Yeah, so, there's not not much going on with the Tigers. There's a little bit going on in baseball, but really not much at all either. Yeah, not not much at all. But we do bring in a special guest who who, who last joined us in August. It's one of our uh, friends of the show, uh, close confidant, and. Uh, uh, let's see, credit to the stars. That's Perry, everybody. Hi, everybody. There we go. <laughs> so uh, tonight uh, we're going to go best of, worst of movies of the year, some uh, most valuable, was it players, Chris? or is Multiple. It... Multiple valuable players. The people who were really great more in more than one movie this year. All right. The, the two sport athletes of the movies. Yeah, the Bo Jacksons or maybe... <laughs> Or maybe the Deion Sanders, if it depends on your preference of uh, two-star athletes. But uh, or Kyler Murray. There we go. Oh, yeah, there we go. There's some consideration for that, too, as well. As uh, We'll get in heavy in the movies tonight. So uh, if you are interested in baseball, check this out right now for about five, ten minutes. And we're going movies the rest of the way. So some news that came out today. Uh, some big news for uh, the MLB and the Cuban Baseball Federation. They reached an agreement that will eliminate the need for players to defect which is huge. It's been something that's been going on since since 1962 when the embargo first pl- took place. And even before then, uh, Cubans who did come to this country came legally no problem at all. But this is huge. This is a this is the new system won't change how Cubans players are compensated by MLB teams, but the the result will be release fees paid to the federal to the Cuban Federation or excuse me to the FCB, which is the Cuban Baseball Federation. And under the new system, Cuban players will be signed out of Cuba and subject to U.S. government approval, granted a work visa. So, um, however, it came out that the State Department said the players will have to travel to a third country to apply for a visa, just like other Cuban nationals per the current policy. This is huge, and this allows for Cubans to probably come back to represent them in the World Baseball Classic, which makes for a hell of a more interesting World Baseball mm-hmm. Classic, Chris, uh, for that Absolutely. standpoint. Yeah, it makes sense in, in just about every way to do something like this. That the old system wasn't keeping the best players in Cuba from defecting. Uh, all it was doing was like lining the pockets of human traffickers and drug dealers and stuff like that. Like you know the the stories about Yasiel Puig being holed up in a hotel for like six months, basically being kidnapped. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just not. It, it was a giant pain in the ass for for teams to get a look at these players. And it was a dangerous situation where these players in Cuba wasn't getting anything out of it. So, uh, yeah, it makes sense now. It, it's good. I, most of the good players are gone already, but, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll grow some new good players. No, I, and, and the thing is, too, there's a lot of Cuban players right now. There's a couple of um, down the pipeline that are young. And, and, and also, it does give some credence to the Cuban Baseball Federation, too, in terms of an actual kind of like what the – equivalently almost like the Mexican League. And I, I think that if this kind of would happen, I, it could elevate the Cuban Baseball League, a little, the Federation, a little bit too in terms of using it as a possible kind of like a minor – or it is kind of a, more of a what you would see in the Mexican uh, Baseball League, which is kind of a double-A, single-A kind of uh, level and, and give it some more credence that it deserves. So a cut of about 15 to 25% will be going to the FCB – 
and it's currently about the same. And, and they added up to about to be the same percentage Cuban players were giving to smugglers anyway. So, um, yeah. and really the the agreement the agreement does not provide any economic nor commercial benefit to MLB or team owners. And so this is from this is from the statement from the uh, what was this from? Um, oh, just this is Joseph Cohesi. Sports consultant and former baseball agent who has represented Cuban players. Uh, some some news from the, that as well. So, but either way, it's it's big deal and uh, it's it's very. And already, they Cuba has a uh, agreement with uh, the Japanese uh, Nippon Professional Baseball Association. So that's why you see a lot of Cubans playing over there as it stands. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, Victor, Victor for the Ham Fighters. For the Ham Fighters, yeah, there's quite a bit of those over there. Um, and then, of course, you talk about the the last recently is the summer is the Victor Victor Mesa, which is sounds like a Tony Tony uh, band, but it's Tony, Tony, Tony. <laughs> Victor Victor. Well, yeah, Mesa, was, he was with his again. little brother too. Yeah, yeah Victor th- Victor Mesa and Victor Mesa Junior. They've done it again. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a bad joke, but uh, at any rate, um, but still, but then you have the critics like uh, Mario Deep as Ballpark, who so the Republicans in Miami are were cracking me up about this. They're still holding that. Um, the Cubans, yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's always kind of fraught because there's a lot of people, I mean, this is this is a, a situation that you'd know more about than me, but there's a lot of people who were persecuted under Castro and don't feel like we should do anything with Cuba, and then there's people like me who've been comfortable in white in Michigan forever, and they're just like, why aren't we just friends with Cuba? They're so close. We should be friends. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot more, a lot more stuff going on there politically, uh, you know, people who were disappeared and stuff like that but uh i don't know I, I you know i thought it was a good step when we opened up diplomatic relations with cuba again and i think any small steps we can take uh to make that better and also to make baseball more interesting is always good with me and and you know whenever you could eliminate human trafficking from any aspect of society i say go for it yeah <laughs> and and don't I, look and, back no and, and here's the thing too it's traffic traffic in general really i mean <laughs> yes it's true i mean human or not that's why I'm, I'm all about uh, Elon Musk's underground tunnel from somewhere to Dodger Stadium for some reason. <laughs> no, that's a good idea. I mean... boondoggle. <laughs> Especially, <clears throat> it's just because the human traffic element aside, but yeah, speaking, I, I mean, speaking from experience, my father uh, left Cuba in 1967 and mm-hmm. he went to Spain because there's no embargo. The embargo at the time wouldn't allow him to come to the United States and that's how he met my mother and they came here in 1972, so mm-hmm. there was a he had to kind of take a different route to get where he needed to go. So he had to get he got his money, he got sponsored out, and was part of a program that Spain had for Cuban refugees who did not want to be part of the communist. And this is at the time of and he went to uh, from communism to Franco. And if you if you look at any history books <laughs> out there, Franco was not much better than Castro. Yeah. So uh, so no yeah. no I mean it's. There is, if you get but a chance. I think I think I think Franco, if I remember, really only had like a twenty fastball. I think Castro <laughs> yeah. had him at least twenty points in the batting. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, yeah, he, he, he was Franco, yeah. he was great. For, it was great for the eighty-six Mets. But uh, all, all jokes yeah. aside, but my my father, the one thing my dad has taught talked about too is like in terms of uh, he he has a certain hatred for Castro and that regime, and I get it. But at the same time, those uh, those ghosts are long gone and i think the people in cuba have kind of suffered long enough in a little bit but again 
Cuba's opening up quite a bit because they realize they need they also need the money. So there you go. So that being said, uh, the Tigers did make a couple of minor league transactions today, which I ex- we expect this to kind of go forward as the as the winter goes on, and this is pretty much all you're really going to get uh, from the Tigers in terms of a uh, hot action. And uh, they <laughs> they signed today a uh, Paredes, but it's not the uh, no relation. Arado Paredes and Chris Smith and left-handed pitcher Nick Ramirez. Uh, Paredes and Smith were invited to invitations for Major League Camp. Paredes is just 23 years old, spent some time with the Angels, both in AAA and in the Major League level. He was uh, in 14 innings or 14 appearances this year with the Angels. 6.7, 6.87 ERA, 15 strikeouts in 18 innings pitched. Uh, he also had uh, five saves with the ERA of 4.68 in his time in, 30, in time in Salt Lake when the AAA affiliate. So uh, his fastball tops out a nice 93 miles an hour. Not a lot of swing and miss stuff in the major league level. And then Ramirez, you saw uh, Ramirez... His left-hander, who was in the Brewers associate or Brewer with the Brewers, he spent some time between Double A and Triple A, going eleven three with one save, ERA three point nine five, fifty one strikeouts and sixty eight innings pitched, and he was a uh, mid season All Star in Bixie, so I guess that counts for something. And uh, Smith has been with the Nationals the last couple seasons in Toronto. So there you go, Chris. Is there anything that would right right home about these guys at all? No, that's just uh, spring training slash Toledo slash Erie roster father fodder. Um, I don't think any of these guys is uh, you know particularly special. They that's why they've kind of been hanging around this long in the in the minor league free agency market. Uh, you never know; somebody might pop up and, and win a job in spring training. But I expect all three of these guys to kind of just be hanging out. Like I said, in, in the minors until June or July when they either get cut or, you know, whatever. It's uh, it's a slow it, – in some ways, uh, baseball kind of mirrors, like, network television around this time of year. It's like all the big things happen toward the first or second week of December, between, like, October and December, and then nothing happens until, like, mid-January. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the news, I think, to, today was, like – Manny Machado met with the Yankees, I think. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and there was there was some concern because he didn't stay for dinner or something like that. It's like, <laughs> all right, who the hell here? Yeah, at this um, point, we're getting TMZ about it at this point. Yeah, I mean, there is uh, there was when I mean, the, the, the Addison Russell more information came out about uh, how much of an asshole he is today, uh, which was I guess not surprising, but still kind of a bummer to read about, just because you feel awful for that woman. Um, and then, I mean, not to completely switch gears, but I don't know if you, did you see the story about Mike Piazza? No, I didn't. I, I, I was, uh, I've been having these migraines after work the last couple of days. I had a real quick side story. I had a concussion last week and oh. I was in the, in the UP and I've had some major headaches. I, I'm, I'm taking care of it right now. Uh, but, uh, the last couple of <laughs> weeks, the last week has been kind of, a. it's kind of sucked. I'm not going to lie in terms of, uh, physically sucked, but, uh, um, but yeah, some of, some of my baseball stuff. I'm in terms of news. Yeah. I've been kind of a little bit off the track a little bit. But go ahead. I'm sorry. What what happened? Like no, I, what? what uh, how'd you get a concussion? You get hit by a moose? Oh no, <laughs> no, 
the uh, slip on the ice. So, I, well, I, the first time I slipped on the ice, and I, well, that wasn't bad. But the second time, what what happened was I was running power. Ben and I were doing play by play for Livonia Stevenson Hockey. They're up there for the UP series, and I'm running power underneath the bleachers. And there were like the, the hardcore metal bleachers, you know, yeah. tight courses, tight spots. Run the power as I'm walking back, oh. and I went to crunch up. My head slammed against the head of the or the the edge of one of the parts of the bleacher and I fell and I was dazed and, oh. and for like 10, 15 seconds. I lost like just not, I don't want to say consciousness, but you, your eyes get watery. You get really kind of confused. And, yeah. And, uh, I went Monday to get an MRI and, uh, yeah, they're like, yeah, you know, you got the, the team doctor took a look at me too. And yeah, either way, uh, the doctor yeah. confirmed. Wow. It. Yeah. So yeah, it sucked, but it is what it is. No big deal. Well, <laughs> no, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I, uh, I got hit by a deer last Tuesday. I was driving home from work. I saw that. I saw that punk coming. I'm like, wait a minute, no way. Uh, I slowed down, and then he just ran right into like my front uh, driver's side fender. Yeah. And then his, uh, uh, it was probably a her. I don't know. I didn't get a great look. The body slammed against my door, so now I can't open my door to get in. I have to go into the car from another door and open it from the inside. Uh. And uh, the worst indignity of all, as I you know got out and, and checked, and I started driving away, I, I smelled something horrible. Uh, and a deer pooped all over the side of my car. Oh, oh yeah. man. Um, now, I assume it probably went, ran off into the woods. So look at the bright side. Roger, you at least kept all of your bodily fluids inside you when you got the concussion. So really, you're coming out ahead of the deer here. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've done better for yourself than this cloven food animal or whatever um anyway i just was the, the mike piazza story was on the athletic and it's about how he like his midlife crisis was buying a mid-tier level soccer team in italy like a division <laughs> three oh, soccer boy. team it's an amazing story and how it they he and his wife managed to bankrupt it in two years <laughs> Um, now, in the story, there's a lot of blame to go around, but yeah, it's it's a pretty remarkable story. Anyway, if you have the athletic uh, membership, you should definitely read it. And, and it's getting a lot of traction right now because the wife is kind of she's a former model. She was on Baywatch a couple times, I think. She was a Playboy uh, playmate, like Playmate of the Month. And uh, she came out and she's like, "Who the hell ever heard of the city anyway?" It's like it's called like Emilio Reggiano or something like that. She's like, my friend told me, we think we're buying the Yankees and the Dodgers, but you end up with Pittsburgh. We bought Pittsburgh. Who the hell wants Pittsburgh? <laughs> so not people in Pittsburgh are all, all upset. And Yeah. I don't know. Wow. It's good reading if you get a chance. All right. I'll, uh, I'll have to check it so out yeah. after the, uh, after the uh, show. The, uh, the only other baseball stuff, you know, the, the Indians traded. I don't know if we talked about it last week. They, they traded Yonder Alonso. Uh, no, we haven't. Over we we two, didn't. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about it too much, but yeah. They traded Leonardo Alonso to the White Sox. It's the Indians are doing like it's a strange thing they're doing right now, where it's almost like they're they feel like they can win the division even with a much lesser team than they had last year. So they're trying to like prepare for the future. They're like you know selling off players and saving money. It's it's a strange thing. And then you know former Indian Michael Brantley signed with the Astros, which seems like a perfect fit for them. So, I don't know. These are just like, you know, I think that's basically all 
the real transactions that happened in baseball in the last week. And for the record, I think the Indians could pull that off. The the, the rest of the division seemingly has gotten worse. If that's even possible. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, the White Sox seem to be kind of interested in going for it. You know, they had Machado come in. He's Alonzo uh, uh, is his brother-in-law, which I didn't know. Um, but I, if we, I don't know. The, the White Sox could have an interesting offense. I just don't know what they can do about their pitching staff. But if they want to go for it, have at it. Maybe they can trade for Nick Castellanos. Yeah, it would solve a lot of problems there and continue the former yeah. Tiger migration to Chicago. So without further ado, though, uh, so right now, as you're probably inundated with Christmas movies that are just on repeat. So, for example, it's the AKA all the TV networks are on vacation at this point. So they're just going to show marathons. And so this is what people are doing. And people, I think uh, TV executives have figured out that if people listen to the same song over and over again, they can watch the same movie over and over again. So. That being said, right now you have the Polar Express has been on every night since I've gotten home. You have oh. uh, the Santa Claus 2, not the original one, but 2, apparently has been on repeat in my house uh-huh. constantly. And, and so, not the third with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Martin, Martin Short. Martin yeah. Short. Yeah. No, not that one, Chris. Not I haven't seen that one. I've seen one and, and two, and the only reason I've seen two is on already. And then, of course, the a Christmas Story Marathon, that's a quote-unquote new tradition, started by TBS, it's on on Christmas Day. So, Perry, uh, before we get to your movies, Christmas movie-wise, I got to I gotta ask, is there what is your favorite Christmas movie? Uh, give me two of your favorite Christmas movies of all time. Oh, God. I'll tell you the two that have the richest tradition in my house. How's that? That's, that's, These aren't that's necessarily my favorite, but they're, they're the ones that uh, I built my, my holiday around. So as a kid growing up, we watched Miracle on 34th Street on Christmas Eve, the original, uh, forever. And at about, I must have been about 11 or 12. You know, I, by that point, I'd seen it five, six, seven times. Uh, it, it, we started developing a running commentary to go with it. And by the time I was a full-on teenager and my brother, who was five years younger than me, was old enough to start playing along – Really, we had a fully worked out Mystery Science Theater 3000 conversation we could have back at the movie. <laughs> we knew it by heart. So called. We've got jokes we do every year, and I'm proud that I've passed this tradition on to my own daughters. We do this as well. <laughs> They've learned the script. They do the jokes, and they both love the movie as much as I do. So we've got that. Uh, and I'd say a, a more recent tradition is I think every year since it came out on DVD – uh, I believe my wife and I have wrapped Christmas presents on Christmas Eve uh, together while watching Love Actually. Nice. I'm pretty sure that's the case. That's a uh, that's pretty impressive. I mean, I ne- by the way, I've never seen Miracle on 34th Street. That's blasphemy, I know, but I've not I've never seen it. So no, no, there's no such thing as blasphemy. Don't worry about it. It's, okay. it's, it's not it's not the greatest movie ever, but it really isn't. It's still incredibly charming. I still think it plays. It's it's. It's certainly better than uh, the the three remakes that it's had. Oh yeah, the the, the one with the the young lady from Matilda, which no knock on her, but the the I don't know. It's it, from my understanding, it wasn't that good. But uh, Chris, what about you? What's your? Do you have any Christmas? Yeah, the, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was gonna say yeah. That that one's not great, and if you really want to, but it that one even beats if you can find it, and somebody is running it somewhere this time of year because, as you said, this is all TV stations do is find every Christmas product they can put and they air it. 
uh, it was actually remade for television in the mid-70s with, and this gets obscure if you're of a particular age, and I'm of that age, I believe it's uh, Mike Hartman, who was the host of Good Morning America in the 70s, <laughs> the ABC morning news program, was the star of a, of a made-for-TV remake of Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> That's worth it for your kitschy 70s television if you need that. <laughs> That's funny. I don't... Um... David. Sorry, David Hartman. It was David Hartman, David. not Mike. Yeah, Mike Hartman, the, the former running back. All right, what a, <laughs> yeah, number good old number twenty. Well, so what about you, Chris? Do you have any uh, traditions at the roundhouse? We don't really have any traditions uh, per se. There are, you know, I, I never was much for like romantic comedies uh, when I was single, but when I went my my wife Tara, we watched a couple uh, movies that and Love Actually is one of them where I actually enjoy it. Uh, and I also like the holiday. Uh, it's not like I watch it uh, every year, but if it's on, I'll watch it. If that's the one with uh, Kate Winslet and, and Jude yeah, Law. Jack Black. Yeah. Jude Jack Law. Black and Cameron Diaz, I think. And yes, it's, uh, it's just, you know, and it's kind of silly life swapping one, but it's it's fun. I don't know. Um, and then just random Christmas, like, like Gremlins when I was a kid. I remember that. <laughs> um, dun, 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 dun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have, like. Everybody kind of likes Home Alone, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it, again, it's like not something that I. Uh, we don't just get around and turn on, turn on a Christmas movie. Not like at Thanksgiving, where every year we watch the Ice Storm. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that you know that movie. Chris, that movie, like, I don't, I don't know a lot of people have seen that movie, but good God, if that was like, start your tradition where you see Elijah Wood get electrocuted on a metal, sitting on a metal uh, railing, <laughs> that is your Thanksgiving hardcore. I right love there. that movie. I, I love so, that it's one movie. Of, one of my favorites. It's Ang, Ang Lee's first uh, movie, right? First U.S. movie. Uh, not the first, but it was, it was, uh, yeah, that's a the good first movie. one for me. <laughs> That was the first movie I learned about a key party. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, same here. Yeah. So, no, that's, that's a good it's call. It's always there. nice when a movie can teach you something as well as entertain you. <laughs> yes, it's very important. It is. I, will, I, I want to mention something. Roger, you mentioned the Polar Express earlier, yeah. which was, I believe, a Robert Zemeckis movie. Be, yes, it was, yeah. Yes, indeed. I was just reading a scathing review of Zemeckis's, uh newest movie. <laughs> Welcome Marwin to Marlin. <laughs> I, you know what? I don't. I, I I don't know about Robert Zemeckis, man. But I, I, maybe for, when I look at his body of work, like I look at his, like for example, Forrest Gump. I mean, of course, the Back to the Future movies. I, I just maybe I don't know what it is, but I mean, outside of getting incredibly lucky with some of the stuff he's got with Forrest Gump and everything, I, I don't know. I, I, I as a director, middle of the road, I guess. I don't know. It's, that sounds really pompous, but I just. I, mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, you gotta remember, he's a Spielberg protege. He is the tightest of Spielberg proteges. They're practically the same age. I mean, he's 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 a contemporary as much, but he he you know he has a giant career because because he was so tight with Spielberg. And his early films are really funny, and they're really sharp. And I really, I mean, if you go back and look at Used Cars, that movie really works. Still, it's a great Kurt Russell performance. Uh, they're just putting out, I think his first directed film, uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand, is actually coming out on Criterion in March. 
that's you know he's a really truly gifted director who got sucked into wanting to be on the cutting edge of special effects and it killed him <laughs> it led to you know 10 years of those animated dead-eyed movies like polar express i don't know how anybody can watch that movie it's creepy everybody was creepy in that movie and then everybody forgets about the disasters like beowulf because he just <sighs> went down this yikes this technical rabbit hole that he crawled out of for like castaway which is a too long but has brilliantly directed sequences in it uh and yeah he's just he's never had a script as good as i'm gonna go ahead and just say the original back to the future <laughs> it's been 35 years since he's had a script that good to work with i forgot about how many I'm, scripts are that good <laughs> no that's true i mean force i mean i don't force comp it's not bad. I mean, and, and I've seen. I don't you, think. Go ahead. I, oh, sorry to interrupt. I think I talked to Perry about uh, Perry. You haven't seen Force Gump since it came out, have you? Probably not. Maybe maybe once on video when it first came out on video. But no, I haven't seen it in twenty years. Because that was yeah. I mean, that was one that that I saw a ton on cable when I was growing up. Oh yeah, same. Um, same. I I, I always again. enjoyed Contact, but I'm into that sort of thing. I agree. I think Contact is a good movie, and Gump is a Gump is the best directed most, like, sort of politically offensive movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, the whole point of Forrest Gump is if you remain an idiot and clueless, you're an incredibly good person. That's a really, really stupid lesson to teach anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, like, it's one of those times where I'll pull the hipster, it, the book was better moment, but it was. The book is, he, he professionally wrestles in, wrestles in the book. So, um, but can I get back to He also to, has a giant yeah, dog, I the, think. yeah. He is a... Yes, the book is much funnier and much sharper. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. Especially the way Jenny, Jenny as a character was too. Jenny wasn't just some cracked out, you know. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah. yeah so, anyways, enough. Uh, yeah, and actually, he's, he actually is a lot smarter in that book. In the book too, he comes across as just as a just an idiot. But uh, anyway, not a lovable idiot, but. Anywho, uh, yeah, enough of the Robert Zemeckis uh, podcast hour here on Sports Show Detroit. Um, let's uh, let's get let's get into the movies a little bit, uh, Perry. So, well, further ado, in terms of 2018, though, uh, your your best or worst, and your uh, switch like your position, most valuable positions who played multiple movies and what have you. Is, in terms yeah. of in terms of banner, is in 2018. To you, to sum it up, what would be what would be three words to sum up twenty eighteen for you in terms of movies? Uh, oh, uh, really damn good. <laughs> All right, it was a great year. It really was an excellent film year, and it was an excellent film year not just because there were a lot of really good movies. There were they were released throughout the year. That's the thing that kills me most is like the best. Eight of the ten best movies come out the last two weeks of the year. That's not a good film. I mean, that can you know that's 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 fine. It's better than not having any. But at, since the beginning of the calendar year, you had really interesting stuff, and even the stuff that was incredibly popular that I'm not that I don't think were you know great. I'm not talking about year end stuff by any means, but they're they were worth talking about. Black Panther was amazing. <laughs> it was an amazing story. Just as a film story, as a social story, to have that film be as huge as it was, uh, and that's you know that's that's great when that stuff happens throughout the year. So I really, I really think this is a superb year. It's a fine vintage 
the 2018 <laughs> film year. Yeah, well, I think I think the last time we I, I, I suspect two of the movies we talked about last time are still going to be in your top ten and maybe very close to the top. Uh, and that's kind of illustrates <laughs> that because I, I remember talking about one of the, those movies back in January or February, like very early in the year. Uh, not quite that early, but uh, as well, what, maybe that I was looking forward to it. I don't think there's anything that goes back that far, but there's certainly stuff from the from the beginning of summer and late spring on my list still. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm overestimating when we hung out for lunch at one time. Um, <laughs> we'll find out shortly. All right. No, but so. yeah, no, you're right. Black Panther comes to mind. So, about further ado, uh, further ado, Perry, let's start with the ten worst. Uh, oh, did did you do ten worst? Okay. I have five. Okay, and five. I, I want to be clear, I'm not saying these are necessarily the five worst movies of the year, but these are the five movies that I most hated sitting through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, with that in mind, and we'll tackle this alphabetically so, that, so that to not to show any preference one way or the other. Uh, so we'll start off with Drew Goddard's Bad Times at the El Royale. Anybody bother to see this piece of crap? Bad Times at the... No, I, I, you know what? I, I I've, know what I've heard is. it, but I heard of it, but I haven't seen it. So here's the thing with Drew Goddard, who I don't like. <laughs> I don't like his work. I'm always talking about their work. I'm never talking about them as people. I don't know these people. But Drew Goddard, so with Bad Times at the El Royale, basically made a film. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, the John Hamm. Okay, when, okay, now I remember. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Do you remember when Pulp Fiction came out and about how for like a good five years after that, you saw so many incredibly awful Tarantino knockoffs? Yes. Like everybody thought they could do this. And they don't have Clinton's talent as a writer, let alone a director, to make this work. Do you miss those days? Do you want to go back <laughs> to when everybody was trying to be Quentin Tarantino and obviously can't be? Well, then this is the movie for you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a hot mess, man. And it is frustrating. It, it, it makes you want to scream that you're wasting the talents of Jeff Bridges, uh, uh, John Hamm. It's a great cast. And... Ooh, just nothing going on. Just, just an ugly, lazy piece of writing, which is what I always expect from Drew Goddard at this point in his career. Uh, okay, so after that, let's see. Going alphabetically, oh, you know what? The less said about this, the better. D- uh, nobody bothered to see Chappaquiddick, right? I did. I, <laughs> I, I, insanely I, I, late movie. I you did. did see it. I did see it, yeah. I, I honestly, Perry, that movie, that movie wasn't, it wasn't bad, but also... You know what? It was a waste of a performance by Ed. I thought Ed Helm did a really good job in that movie. Um, but the the gentleman who played Ted Kennedy, I mean, I thought he pulled the accent off and everything too. But there was there was a lot to be desired. It was. I mean, I I've seen worse, but it wasn't it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was, it was yeah. okay. It's a, it is it's on this list because it is the giant missed opportunity on this list. I'm like, why why would you bother to make that movie? Out of this story, they leave so many interesting things undealt with. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> no, you're trying to make it like they try to make. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was just you know they 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 want it to be this blow off the doors expose of what happened, and it's so muted, and it's so somber, and it's so bloodless. <laughs> That I'm just sitting there going, you wasted this opportunity. And again, yeah, you had a fine cast, but you don't give them anything interesting to do, really. Uh, 
and yeah, so I said, they're going, why, why, why now? Why are we doing this now? And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it's it, one of my biggest disappointments of the year. Yeah. And, and you're, 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 abs- you're absolutely right. Uh, Perry, the thing that has stood out to me about this movie was there, there's so much more to the story. Especially also, you know, I, I, I hate to say this too, but like, I don't know if you guys stand up as a, in terms of a comedian standpoint of Jim Gaffigan, but Jim, even Jim Gaffigan was just like this caricature of a Boston accent that was bizarrely used. And he could have been, he could have been used a lot better, but you know, they, they, they a lot of like when I remember reading the story, I remember this, it was the New York times. I can't remember what they were saying that it was impossible to tell the story of it, of what had really happened in reality. Ted Kennedy's dead, and I understand the Kennedys are still a powerful, or you know whatever you want perceive it as. But even the relationship he had with his dad in the movie too, where his dad's just you know with the stroke, just you know writing words and everything, and, and the, the fear of his dad. I, I don't know, like it just there was a lot to more. There was a lot more to Ted Kennedy at the time, and in terms of his you know typical Kennedy, the the Kennedy way of boozerizing with women, what have you. That that part was very very tamed down so you're absolutely right that's that's a good call yeah on that. or even if they just got at you know okay well let's be real for a second let's imagine ted kennedy's headspace you know not not even five years removed from the death of both of his brothers of course he's going to be depressed of course he wants out of this life and let's actually explore that and make ted a little sympathetic before he does this horrible, horrible thing yeah. <laughs> that he undoubtedly did, <laughs> then you've got a really interesting movie. But no, this movie isn't interested in being interesting. <laughs> Not a good idea. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a, that's a good. All one. right, continue on. Up next, uh, this was the movie. Well, this was one of the two movies that I truly, truly, truly loathed. <laughs> This was one of the most miserable movie-going experiences of the year for me. This was hereditary. We talked about this the last time mm-hmm. I was on. I'm pretty sure this had just come out. This yeah. is the horror film that uh, got a ton of ton of good notices. They are going to push uh, – uh, oh, what's her name? Uh, yeah, there's a – Tony Collette. They're going to push Tony Collette for Best Actress for this. Um, I, I just – I hate this movie. I hate this movie so much, guys. <laughs> and I know I, I, I know I, I know genre fans who think it's great and this amazing debut of a new voice and I don't hear it and I don't see it and it is a film that is I just sit there going what what what, what are you doing what, what are you doing it's like I'm talking to a four year old what what are you doing what what are you, stop stop that stop doing that don't stop that that's not, stop I have that conversation <laughs> quite often by your time I'm watching this movie. Wow. Yeah. No, it's funny is I, I just uh I'm I'm somebody who enjoys being spoiled and stuff that I don't plan on watching. Uh so I was reading <laughs> I was reading like the ten most shocking moments of the year in, in, in movies. And one of them was from, from Hereditary and I don't I don't know, I don't want to ruin it for other people, but I was like, Oh yeah, all right. Well that would be kinda of crazy. But uh it wasn't the, like the, the ending or anything is, though, like that. The problem is it oh, I know okay. So that's so I'm going to go ahead and spoil it then. You, you read about the decapitation? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not the most shocking thing in the movie. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's not supposed to be, but it is. It's hilarious. Um, no, the yeah. It's a movie that doesn't work because... Here's what doesn't work in a movie. If fate wins, 
if everybody's telling you this is what's going to happen and then that's what happens, that's not dramatic. <laughs> I don't care no. at that point. I'm not invested in any way in anything that's happening because I know, oh, this is going to happen. And that's exactly what happens in Hereditary. <laughs> Yeah. Now, that's not even close to my only problem, but it's the biggest one that I can give you without spoiling it too much. Well, I, I have a similar – I don't know if it's similar, but it's uh, – I can never find myself getting emotionally invested in um, – even though I, I still watch them and enjoy them, like superhero movies or superhero shows because deaths don't oh, mean yeah. anything. Deaths just mean nothing. Exactly. People always come back and you're like, eh, well, whatever. <laughs> oh, I'll see them next yep. week. So. There are no stakes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and now in the DC, I mean, the DC New Fifty Two have done it what three or four times already. So you don't know who's dead or who's alive or what what stories have changed so much. So no, your episode yeah. is. So I think I know one of the the two remaining movies, but I will let you tell them, Perry. I'm sure you do. Yeah. Uh, next up on the list, I guess. Yeah, and you know what? Again, the less about this, the better. It's just that I sat through this movie thinking. Why? Why are we doing this other than it's just a sheer money grab? And what? What do, does anybody really want to see this anymore? And that's Jurassic World. Thank really? You. Does anybody really care if you're not six? Does anybody <laughs> really want these movies over and over and over? I mean, you guys. Okay, so stop. You guys. Okay, you guys have. Small, you guys. You guys have small children. So let me ask you guys this. Are, are are your kids in the dinosaurs? It's still remember when I remember when I was a kid, I was in the dinosaurs. There's always some kid that was in the dinosaurs in some sort of way, shape, or form. They had more toys that were dinosaur based. Is it is it now these days? Is that changed at all or no? Uh, well, I can tell you that I spent Sunday and roughly 120 dollars in Novi at a dinosaur expo that Harrison seemed to enjoy, <laughs> um, although it was awful. Uh, um, it wasn't like they had they had really cool animatronic dinosaurs like life-size spinosaurus like 50 feet long but it was absolutely packed you had to wait an hour to go on a ride that lasted 60 seconds uh (laughs) harrison got his face painted we got there there were two kids who had this awesome face paint that looked like they had been like you know clawed by a raptor so harrison wanted that oh boy and when we 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 waited 70 minutes to get his face painted uh, and the woman took 45 seconds to do it, and it just looks uh-huh. like something I could do. Like, she just, you know, put a bunch of X's on his face. Um, the highlight, honestly, the highlight was there was a dude sitting in a chair with his full ass showing. Like, just, I could send you the picture. It's just the biggest ass crack I've ever seen in my life. I took pictures, I shared it with people. We were naming it, uh, you know, Ash Krakosaurus and Dead Astodon. <laughs> um, but, short, in short, yes, uh, kids do still, do still like dinosaurs, although... Uh, and let's do... You know. I, 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 I'm going to go ahead and be sexist here. It's boys. Boys like Yeah, this. no, that's... Yeah, this Perry, you have daughters. Cool right, I have daughters, and they're much older than this now. I mean, I, I, got, I got a high school and college sophomore. They're they're way past the dinosaur phase, but even at the time, no, I got to skip dinosaurs in my household as a thing, thankfully. But yeah, no, anytime. I mean, dinosaurs. Uh, the only thing that's come close to drawing attention 
away from dinosaurs for kids that age is basically uh, uh, the, the Pixar series Cars. That's the only other thing I've ever seen that has the ability to draw someone away from a T-Rex. That's, that's what, the reason I, I asked that question is because that's how I feel with the – that's how I feel about the uh, – these movies because I feel like my dinosaur phase is long gone. I have no interest in seeing it, and I just, I, I it just, it looks, it looks like a giant money grab, as you said. And I, to be fair, I didn't see the previous one. I didn't see the first one with Chris Pratt, but I went to see this one. <laughs> like, I, I hate this. I hate. This. I think. What are we doing so the here? original Jurassic Park. None of the stars uh, are going to die. Yeah, the 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 original Jurassic Park. Uh, means something to me. I don't think it's a great movie, but it was like one of the, my first big sort of blockbuster experiences going to the movies on my own or with my first girlfriend. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, I, I never cared to watch the two sequels to that. And I have seen the, the most recent re, you know, the reboot, which had one of the most cruel and pointless things I've ever seen in my life. I think I, we may have talked about this before, but they're like, you know, it, it's sort of... Uh, these two boys go to the, the the resort to hang out with their aunt, but their aunt's too busy, so she just has this like nanny watching them. And this <laughs> nanny seems perfectly fine and normal, um, and she's trying. And these kids are getting away from her or whatever. And then later in the movie, they just have her get eaten by a dinosaur, like after being tortured <laughs> for a little bit. Wow! And it's like <laughs> I don't know. It's it's the weirdest. Like oh, the lesson is don't try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I have no interest in those movies at all, and uh, I can see it sucking a lot. And they're not even – like I said, it's just – it's so – you've seen this. Are you – if you're not – again, if you're not of a particular age, if you're not 15 and don't have the experience of seeing this on a big screen, I get that. I completely get that. But, oh, my word. <laughs> if you're our age, come on. Yeah. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Yeah. You can do better than this. You really can. And I'm talking to people making the movie. You can do better than this. I know you can. Yeah. Speaking of you can do better than this, we're going to round out the most unpleasant movie-only experiences of the year with Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. Yes, I knew it. A film that, oh, oh, a film that I think I actually upset my wife. I couldn't stop talking about how angry I was about it. <laughs> uh just a miserable experience where you are trapped in something that is too loud, cut too fast, um, has no understanding of the moral it's actually sending. <laughs> I think we talked about this the last time we talked. You know, this is a movie that ends. I'm going to spoil this. <laughs> Get ready, folks. The, more, the lesson that the, the guy learns, the, the, the main kid learns, is that you can't spend all of your time online. Right, you you got to live in the real world, okay? And so the big lesson at the end of the movie is he gets to take over this whole online world that has taken over everything and where everybody spends all their time. And his big decision when he's in charge is to shut it down two days a week. <laughs> I don't I don't understand what this lesson is, guys. <laughs> I'm at a complete loss. <laughs> I'm at a complete loss. Tell me that I'm supposed to live in the real world, but only two days a week. <laughs> yeah, that's long enough to get your laundry done. I don't get this. Yeah, usually get, <laughs> exactly. some, get some fresh Back air. and you're good to go. Yeah, you know what's funny about this movie too is um, the movie poster. I find by like kind of in a weird way ironic because it's all Steven Spielberg's movies you've seen 
in, in like in throughout history combined together one poster. You have the Back to the Future car on yep. there, and you have like the elements of all his old posters of E.T. and uh, something like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The movie poster for this movie is incorporates in, in in some way, shape, or form encompassing all those elements all in one poster. It's so strange, and mm-hmm. and your movie review about it was kind of the reason why I, I I've noticed I, I'm going to see it because I'm just you know fascinated and curious about it, but at the same time. I don't know. It just seems like it's it's a version. It, maybe it's a uh, kind of their, his version of uh, what's the movie, um, uh, the Disney movie with the, the Wreck It Ralph. Not Wreck It Ralph, but the uh, the robot. Wreck It Ralph. The the robot uh, movie. Uh, well, it, it is Ralph. Big Hero Six. Uh, no, the other one. The um, the lesson about that movie. Wally. The, Wally. Wally. The this you know. Oh, Wally. The the lesson of the kind of same lesson. If you, if we become fat and stupid and incompetent, we're just gonna. We're not going to solve ourselves. A little robot's going to do that, and it's the same. In terms of a, in terms of a, uh, what we're learning here, or the after-school lesson yeah. special here. So, uh, so I've talked about this with Perry before. Um, I have a, for for some reason, I make uh, like connections with movies. I like I create fake titles for them that are somewhat similar to a real movie, and I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> and the most glaring example of this is the. Uh, the Val Kilmer movie at first sight, which I always used to call yeah, my head. Yeah. Can't hardly see. <laughs> wow. Uh, instead it's of the so movie good. Can't Hardly Wait. Um, in, in this movie, uh, Ready Player One, I just, in my head, I call it Burn After Watching. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know why. I, don't, so I was like, yeah, Burn After Watching. Oh, no. So, I don't know. Totally I, I've never seen it. I totally probably won't. You know, and again, I don't want to say I, I, I am, you know, no, I want to be very clear with all the films on this list. Well, with the exception of a couple of them, I'm not saying they're bad movies. I'm not saying they're terrible movies. I'm just saying these were miserable movie experiences for me, and this is why. <laughs> I don't want to objectively say they're terrible movies by any means. Okay, I, I, I do with Bad Times at the El Royale. But otherwise, I really <laughs> I'm really to understand, you know, let, I'm not blaming the filmmakers. I'm not saying they're untalented people by any means. These films were just miserable experiences. Yeah. Yeah, that that Bad Times at the El Royale just gives me, uh, when I look at the trailer or the pictures of it, I just think of that movie. Was it Identity? The John Cusack movie? <laughs> I assume they're completely <laughs> different, but I just. Too. From a really that? good director. That's a piece of crap. That's a piece yeah. of crap movie from a really good director. Yeah. It just reminds that me of a bunch of people stuck at a hotel. That, that movie is even better. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and spoil this, guys. Have you, have you seen the movie? Do you know this movie? What, Bad Times at the El Royale? No, no, Identity. no, no. Uh, uh, Identity. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, no, I, yeah. yeah we've, I think we've seen it. Okay. It's old, I mean. So remember remember how it ends. It ends with the, the, like it's the serial killer is thinking about if, if he's, everybody that we've the serial killer has the is you know it's, it completely folds in on itself, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that that came out after adaptation, in which the fake script being written adaptation is exactly that? It is oh. like the serial killer and the cop turn out to be the same person. Oh no, <laughs> I didn't. Joke in the movie that there's this twist that won't work. <laughs> and then I just didn't I'm even I'm convinced somebody saw adaptation and said, oh, I can write that. I can totally write that. And they did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. 
bad identity. Even indie Hollywood will will cannibalize itself. Never fear. <laughs> All right, Perry. So what about the? So the, let's let's talk about fun things. Yeah. So let's the, talk about fun things. Let's talk about things we like. Absolutely. Go ahead. Go for it. Okay. So the Academy gets to nominate anywhere between five to ten movies for Best Picture, right? Right. It, yeah. it fluctuates every year. It depends. We won't get into why right now. So in the spirit of that, I've got the seven films I would nominate for Best Picture. Okay. All right. Sounds good. And we'll attack again. We'll attack this. We'll attack this alphabetically. Starting with Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Now, Spike has been making movies the same as he's always made them for like the last 20 years. <laughs> it's not that Spike fell out of – it's not that Spike changed or anything. Uh, but what I think is that Donald Trump has made the world ready for Spike Lee again. <laughs> the world has come back around to needing what Spike Lee does. And, uh, and Black Klansman is one of his very best movies. It's a fantastic, uh, giant, splashy debut acting performance for uh, John David Washington, of course, the son of Denzel. Uh, when you see the movie, if you, you, you'll look at him and you'll forget because he doesn't really look like Denzel. And then every once in a while, there'll be scenes where you don't see his face, but you hear him talk and you go, oh, that's that voice. That's Denzel's <laughs> voice. He got the voice. Um, it's just a really sharp, really angry call to action uh, it's it's it feels like the it feels like the sequel to not do the right thing because it's 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 more pointed than do the right thing and it has a more clear cut bad guy than do the right thing but it feels like it belongs in that spectrum with do the right thing and Malcolm X I really like this movie a ton I rewatched it just a couple days ago and uh, it it all the stuff that I was kind of like oh that's a little on the nose that's a little that's that's hitting it a little too hard all play really well the second time. I was like, oh, yeah. no, this whole movie is about hitting you over the head. This works. <laughs> this works beautifully. So, yes, I'm happy to report that Spike Lee's Black Klansman is one of the very best films of the year. I see. I definitely wanted to see that. I just haven't seen it yet. I think it's pretty much available now. I mean, you can find it in all your, all your basic rentable streaming areas. You should be able to find it. Sweet. N- Next up, and this is the film that's probably going to be the least seen on this list, uh, <laughs> you guys know who Armando Iannucci is? Yeah, the Veep guy. Yes, very good. Armando Iannucci has made his career uh, doing political satire, which, granted, is not the biggest draw for a lot of people, but he's <laughs> responsible for the first, what, four seasons of Veep or three? He, he left yes. the show eventually, but he Something started like it. Um, he, I've never seen the British series that he made his name with, but he did an amazing movie called In the Loop a few years ago, which actually got an Oscar nomination for Best Screenplay. I think it's still on Netflix. It's about the run-up to the war in Iraq in Britain. Uh, hmm. And basically what Iannucci does is he makes movies about how millions of people's lives are thrown into utter turmoil and chaos because of the petty grievances of people in power. <laughs> and he's he's made fun of the Brits this way, and he's made fun of the Americans this way, and in his movie from this year, The Death of Stalin, he makes fun of the old Soviet Union this way. Oh boy! <laughs> and it's great to see that that kind of political satire works. It no matter what the political rules are, <laughs> everybody's horrible, and it works. It works so well. This is a screamingly funny movie uh, with a, again another spectacular cast. Uh, headed by Steve Buscemi, uh, who I don't want to tell you who he plays because the reveal is so fantastic in the movie. <laughs> uh, 
but it is actually based on real events about when Stalin died and the, the fight for power, the power vacuum that, that ensued. Uh, and it is, it is a thrill. <laughs> it's, it's a really funny movie. It's a very scary movie. If you stop and think about it. Um, and thankfully they don't ask you to stop and think about it too much till way after. Yeah. That's I, I've always heard that Veep was the most accurate depiction of politics in Washington, which is also disturbing. <laughs> so yes, check out the death of Stalin as soon as you can. Third film on this list is Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. Mm-hmm. We uh, talked about Bo this Burnham's the last time. Yeah, Bo Burnham's feature debut, Eighth Grade, is the is the last week of eighth grade for a, a, a girl, and that may sound like the most boring thing on the planet, <laughs> but what he's done is he's captured exactly what it's like to be in junior high right now in the 21st century in the age of social media, and at the same time it'll feel exactly like it did to anybody who was ever in eighth grade in any decade at any time. It, it's an, it's an amazing piece of work. I really can't recommend it highly enough. It's one of my three a plus movies this year. There, there were three films this year that are so good. I think they're going to end up on my like top 10 of the decade. <laughs> That's how good a year this was. I think three of the films from this year are going to end up on my best of the decade list at the end of next year. Eighth grade is one of them for sure. That's impressive. I know you talked about that earlier in the summer too. And it's on my, it's been on my list. Uh, that movie and the uh, there's an, maybe you'll, you maybe you'll mention it. So I'll, I'll wait. But go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, it's the somebody was telling me about it was the uh, the gentleman who is the African American who speak who works for a tele, uh, telemarketing company and becomes really good at it. <laughs> sorry to bother you. It's sorry to bother you. That's yeah. That's on my that's on my list to watch during Christmas vacation. Uh, that movie and the eighth grade movie because yeah. I've heard really good things about uh, sorry about or sorry to bother you. Yeah, sorry to bother you is a super interesting movie. It is it is uh, said from this classic rock loving white guy. It's the most hip hop film I have ever seen. <laughs> it is a film that truly just embodies hip hop culture as I understand it. it. I mean, this is a total compliment. This is it was it's something. <laughs> it is a collision of ideas and concepts and styles that I have never seen on film before. It's a really interesting movie. I, I, I'm eager for you to see it just to hear what you think about it. Yeah, I've heard none yeah, of the things about it. I really wanted to see it at the theater just to support it, and I blew it, so good for me. <laughs> it is out on DVD and Blu-ray as we speak. You, the opportunities there you are there. Yeah, and there are other <laughs> ways for me to support. Yes. And, it's, and also it's on Hulu, too. Oh, right. Oh, cool. All right. The fourth of my seven Best Picture nominees this year uh, opens Friday. Uh, it is The Favorite, the new film from the director, Yorgos Lanthimos. It's so much fun to say Yorgos Lanthimos. Try it at home. It feels so good rolling off the tongue. Uh, this is the guy who made – he made a big splash finally over here in the States a few years ago with a movie called The Lobster with Colin Farrell, which you might or might not have seen. It's on Netflix now. Um, and The Favorite is – a really, really funny, really explicit comedy about uh, about royal court, about gaining favor with the queen, and, and it is a a battle of wit to the death uh, between Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz, <laughs> who use uh, all of the wiles they have at their at their disposal in order to uh, to gain favor with the queen and 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 rise in power in court. I know this sounds 
<laughs> I know that's going to be a concept that's going to turn off a great many people. This is the kind of film you want to see like this. This film is sexy. It's funny. It looks like a Stanley Kubrick film. It is glorious to look at. Uh, mm. And it is really funny. <laughs> it is funny. This would make a great double feature with the death of Stalin. <laughs> if you need to get all your political satire and political intrigue out of the way in one viewing, watch these movies back to back and you can go see the favorite Friday in theaters and be blown away by it. It's really a ton of fun. All three of the female leads who I mentioned and Olivia Coleman who plays the queen, they're all going to get nominated for Oscars. I guarantee you Olivia Coleman's going to get nominated for actress. The other two are going to be in sporting actress. Uh, wow. And I can't believe this won't be nominated for all of what I like to call the coffee table Oscars. This will be up for art direction, costumes, <laughs> cinematography. Um, it's a really good movie. It's a, it's an incredibly well-made movie. The end bump, the, I think the end lets up on the gas just a little, uh, keeping it off the A-plus list, but it's really spectacular and worth seeing. The favorite opens Friday. I think I know what's coming next. <laughs> I think you do. We talk enough that you should know, yes? Yes. Yes. Up, up next is Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Mm-hmm. Forced, forced to answer, this is my favorite film of the year. Uh, uh, Paul Schrader's First Reform stars Ethan Hawke as a, uh, a minister working at a lowly chapel, the oldest, uh, the oldest, how is it, how is it uh, the oldest chapel in New York State, uh, and he is going through a lot of crap. <laughs> His life is kind of falling apart. He's depressed. He's drinking heavily, uh, and then a parishioner comes to him because she's concerned. Her husband is thinking about doing something terrible because he's become convinced the planet's going to die very soon because of uh, the ecology and is planning on some sort of drastic eco-terrorist act. And that's just the setup. <laughs> that's wow. not the payoff. That's the first 15 minutes of the movie. Um, and what Paul Schrader has fashioned is the most intriguing and searing religious drama anybody's made in a really long time. Uh, it is a film that feels very much, again, like eighth grade of the moment. It really latches on to the environmental angle to make it seem very topical and relevant now. But the truth is, it would work at any point. It's a film about, it's a film about zealotry. It's a film about what it means to give yourself over to something completely, be it environmentalism, religion, the military, or love. And yes, all these things figure into the movie. It's a really spectacular piece of work. <laughs> and, uh, the best, certainly the best work Ethan Hawke's ever done outside of a Richard Linklater movie. Go see First Reformed. I think it's also available everywhere now. Should be easy to find. You know, it's, what's interesting about Ethan Hawke, too, is like he came out this year and he was get, kind of getting under fire a little bit because he was complaining they had to do commercial work and that the movies he was taking weren't like <laughs> what they what used to be and that, that quote, you know, it was, it, it was I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he, he just came across as kind of a dick. Uh, whining about kind of the, the 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 roles he's been taking lately, so he is getting. I mean, he did get snubbed at the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards for this, but uh, he is. A lot of people think he's going to get uh, nominated for an Oscar for this role, and I'm. That's another one that's on my uh, on my Rogers. Uh, hey, my Netflix list is just as long. Got to watch these movies list uh, that I've, I'm added to my queue. Uh, but yeah, anything involving that kind of religious standpoint, I'm, I'm always down for. But yeah, it's just I, I the only the my favorite Ethan Hawke movie is probably Gattaca. 
if I if I really in, in Training Day he was okay, but Gattaca I really liked that movie a lot, and he for whatever reason he stood out in that movie. No, Gattaca is a good movie. He's the least interesting thing in it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Jude Law in that movie is stunningly oh, great. Oh yeah, no, uh, good call on that. Yeah, so it's you know, I, and I'm I'm a fan of everything he's ever done with Richard Linklater. He's he's Linklater just knows what to do with him, like nobody ever has. But he's certainly grown into a middle age history to Ethan Hawke very well. <laughs> when he can no longer just rely on being pretty, it's it's done wonders for his career. <laughs> and uh, yeah, First Reformed is is really something special. I I, I cannot recommend it enough. It's a complete A plus. I love this movie to death. It's great. It's just so great. I, I I've seen it, I think five times at this point. <laughs> I'd watch it again right now. Is but it, I'd much rather talk to you. So. Is, is it better than Is it better than American Gigolo? <laughs> American Gigolo. I I like American Gigolo a lot, but yes, it's better than American Gigolo. Yeah, because that's what, <laughs> I remember that's one of uh, Paul Schrader's uh, first movies. So. Uh, absolutely so I, absolutely. Just wanted, I just wanted to make sure that it was like in terms of like it's in terms of i mean that's a lot i mean that's a you know 30 40 or almost 40 year difference but still it's kind of you know curious well that's that's one of the things i love about first reform and i i think we talked about this last time is schrader's written this story now three times basically this is so the the template for this movie is taxi driver yeah because he wrote taxi driver he didn't direct it but he wrote it and the great thing about Taxi Driver was always his uh, Schrader's incredibly strict Calvinist background smashing into Scorsese's hardcore Catholicism <laughs> and his quest for transcendence and, and believing that you can get past this. Uh, that's what makes that movie, for me, the greatest movie ever made. But he, you know, it's also the work of guys in their 30s. And then about 20 years ago, Schrader made another great film. I think he's referred to them as his Men in a Room movies. <laughs> just guys who are really alone the whole time. Uh, he did a film called Light Sleeper with Willem Dafoe and Susan Sarandon that is superb. <laughs> I really, if you've never seen Light Sleeper, check it out. It's a really great 90s indie. Uh, it's, it, and again, it attacks the same type of character, but from a guy in his 50s. He's learned a little more about life, and now Schrader's in his 70s, <laughs> and he knows a whole lot more about life. <laughs> And he figured another way to tell the story again. It, again, it's one of the many reasons I just I love this movie. Uh, see it first reformed. Right. I will. Up next, the sixth of our seven best picture nominees. Here is the one everybody's most likely seen: A Quiet Place, John Krasinski's horror film. His 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 grim fairy tale for adults about a family that is living in a world in which evil aliens can hear everything, and as soon as they hear you, they kill you. <laughs> this movie shouldn't work. <laughs> this movie is a ridiculous premise, and uh, from the jump, it works. It is so brilliant. You, you are put in this world so effectively, and he gets at a bigger theme right away. Uh, you know, it works. It works as a straight-up genre film, and it works as a tale of uh, of what it of what is selflessness is basically what this movie's asking. <laughs> um, and it asks it in the best ways. And it ends, <laughs> and any movie that ends with a shotgun being racked, you know you're in for a good time, <laughs> no matter what. Um, yeah, it's a, really, it's a really effective film. It's out everywhere. 
uh, see it. I'm really excited to see what Krasinski is doing. Talking about talk about a guy who's been taking really, really obvious box office, big time paycheck stuff, like playing Jack Ryan for Amazon in order to make. He's made now three really small, truly sort of you know indie-ish movies. Uh, this being the biggest of them by far, but even this wasn't anything huge. This is a this is a small. I mean, it's four. There's five characters in this movie and three aliens. You know. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's uh, it's really worth seeing. It's really worth seeing. It is it is the anti-hereditary. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It is uh, it's the uh, what the nurture, to hereditary's nature. Is that what we're talking about here? Exactly. 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 And last on the list, my uh, my last decimal year, one of my other A pluses. It is streaming on Netflix right now. It is Alfonso Cuarón's Roma. I was wondering. Yeah. I was wondering. Cuarón. Yes. Yeah, Quaron's film is this autobiographical tinged look at life in Mexico in the 70s, uh, centering on this uh, this domestic worker that his family had. Um, it is not straight up autobiography by any means, but there was this woman in their life that meant a lot to him, and so he's fashioned this very simple story about a a. A, a not very wealthy woman at all who works as a maid for this middle-class family and what she experiences and what she goes through as uh as we were talking about earlier mexico in the early 70s had a little bit of political turmoil of its own uh <laughs> so it touches on that even though it's that's not the centerpiece of it by any means and uh so this film has won the new york film critics award for best picture and it's won the la film critics best picture award it's that's kind of a hint that it will probably win the National Society of Film Critics Award, and only two films in history have won those three awards and not won Best Picture. It's a it's a big boost. And well, I'll tell you have you to tell I us what the two films were. It was L.A. Confidential, All right. which got uh, beat by Titanic because Titanic came out very late and no one had seen it. Boo. Uh-huh. And the other one, if if I remember correctly, is The Social Network. Oh. Which I can't remember what beat it, but those are the two. Normally, I would tell you that a two-hour and 20-minute black-and-white foreign-language film would never have a shot at Best Picture, no matter who made it. <laughs> but I will tell you this. Quran is truly one of the best directors alive, and this is a, an incredible-looking movie. He shot it himself. He was his own cinematographer on it, um, and it is glorious, beautiful black-and-white photography. Uh, the story is, like I said, just un- no one else would tell this story. <laughs> um, and why I think it has a real shot at the Best Picture Oscar is I can't imagine a more artistic repudiation of everything that Trump espouses. I'm not, I'm not taking a political stand here myself with this. I'm just saying that I think that will appeal to a wide swath of Academy voters. And with no other film that seems to be the obvious, well, this is the Best Picture. I, I think it may do very, very well. I think it has a real chance to actually win the Best Picture Oscar, which would be one of – be, if, if it does, it will be my favorite Oscar night since The Departed won 12 years ago. <laughs> nice. I, I'm, I'm curious if uh, – have you seen Vice? I've seen Vice. We're going to talk about Vice in just a little bit when we get to the MVPs, but yes. Oh, all I right. Yeah, Vice. I didn't know if that was out yet or not. I, I, um, I'm looking here at Best Picture – Best Picture in 2011, The Social Network was beat by The King's Speech. Oh, yeah, that fits. 
<laughs> I can see how that happens. Yeah, that sure. was the same. God, I watched and, almost every. That was the year I watched every movie, but uh, the Fighter. That was Black Swan, <laughs> Inception, The Kids Are All Right, 127 Hours, The Social Network, Toy Story Three, True Grit, and Winter's Bone. That's a good year. year. Yeah. Yeah, nothing wrong with that year. <laughs> yeah. 2011. All right. Um, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but uh, no, I mean that was. Uh, oh, don't worry. I, 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 I thought, uh, I thought. Well, I knew, I knew that uh, First Reformed in eighth grade would be on there because we've talked about them before, and I figured Roma would be on there because I know how much you like Quaron uh, and everybody's, uh, everybody's, you know, enjoying that movie. And he did make uh, yeah. a bunch of good movies, like Children of Men. Quaron, he takes he takes years between his movies, but he doesn't yeah. work till he's ready to do and knows what he wants to do. And after three straight really huge box office swings with, uh, so his last three films are the, the Potter film he did, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And then Which Children is the of best Men, one. And then Gravity. Oh yeah. yeah, by far it's the best Potter film. <laughs> by far. Um, and then, yeah. And then Children of Men and Gravity. And Gravity is the, Gravity is the one time I've ever left a movie that I can remember and said, this film deserves to make $500 million and win every Oscar. <laughs> I rarely have that thought simultaneously. But that's when I left Gravity. That's how I felt. Um, yeah, Quan's just, he's, he's just unbelievably gifted. And, you know, we could talk at a later time about the business model of Netflix having this and seeing what they're doing with it. This is their first really serious big-time Oscar contender. And they weren't, they were going to like release it in New York and LA for a week and then pull it entirely because they want people to come to Netflix to see it. And they were sort of shamed into giving it a, a wider release. It's playing on about 500 screens around mm-hmm. the country. I think it's only going to be in theaters for a couple of weeks. I don't think it'll play long. Uh, if you're local, I know it's at the Michigan theater. <laughs> if you're, if you're near Ann Arbor and want to see it on a big screen, which I do recommend. It's a glorious, it's a gloriously shot film in 70 milliliter. It will look fantastic on Netflix as well, but it won't be, you won't see it in, 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 on, on, on a screen that Quran would like you to see it on. All the same, he knew that going in. Um, and I'm not meaning, I don't want to turn you off from seeing it on Netflix. By all means, check it out. Encourage Netflix to do more stuff like this with the, what, $1.4 billion they spent last year on original programming. <laughs> <laughs> Help them spend it the right way if they're going to spend this much money. Yeah. Well, aren't they making a movie with, uh, is it, is it uh, like the Pacino and De Niro and Scorsese? Is they it? have the new Scorsese film. That's their yeah. next one. It, that is the Scorsese film that's next year, which we will uh, be talking about quite a lot, I'm sure. Yeah, De Niro, Pacino, they pulled Joe Pesci out of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> He's out there. He was um, just making music. Pretty sure. I'm I'm super geeked. I am I am beyond geeked <laughs> for this movie. I cannot wait for this movie. What is Joe? Uh, yeah, what, what, is Joe, what Joe? Pe- what, the good, good question. What has Joe Pesci been up to? He retired. Yeah, <laughs> for he's real. hanging out with Gene Hackman. He, yeah, or uh, talking about you know re- his classic eight eight heads in a duffel bag. Exactly. <laughs> what did he? he, he I, I swear he did a. Oh. Go ahead. Oh no! I, I, he did a, a like a, a a music album as the character from my cousin cousin Vinny, I think, but it was like ten <laughs> years after my cousin Vinny. 
All right, that's, fair. that's an easy that yes. That's money in your back pocket, and no one will ever hear it, so you can't be embarrassed by it. That's that's an easy decision. <laughs> what is it called? Positronic uh, control? Is that what it was called? I don't, I'm looking. <laughs> Pause attraction. Pause attraction, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, here it is. Yeah, 1998. Vincent LaGuardia Gambini sings Just For You. Oh, Awesome. It's six years awesome. after the movie came out. Six years after the movie. Weird. All right, I'm going to end the podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm going to end the podcast. Uh, when you guys... Here tomorrow, you hear the music for that. For that, I'm gonna find it. And I'm gonna put it on there. Oh, okay. Here's, I'm, I'm on the Wikipedia right here, and it just says, "Critic Michael Gallucci of All Music, something that Paradise I know quite well gave the album a negative review, a rating of one star out of a possible five. <laughs> that is, that's hard to do. <sighs> anyway, but yes, I'm happy to see Joe on the big screen again, or the little screen if I just see it on Netflix. However, I'm happy. I'm happy to see him again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, your, your MVPs then, I guess. We'll finish up with your MVPs. Okay. Sure, our multiple available players, the, uh, the actors and actresses and writers and directors who, uh, who managed to be beyond good in two different movies. Uh, again, right. we'll check these alphabetically. Up top, Steve Carell, who gave uh, an absolutely fantastic performance uh, as the leading beautiful boy about a dad mm-hmm. trying to deal with a son who is heavily addicted to a number of narcotics. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, I, I like Steve Crow in serious mode. I mean, I like him in funny mode too, but I like him in serious mode. Uh, he's just, he's, he's an all around actor and he's really good in that movie. And he has, he pretty much carries that movie. Uh, not pretty much. He carries that movie and it's a really great performance and it stands in stark contrast to his turn as Donald Rumsfeld in Vice, where he's also <laughs> superb. <laughs> and uh, Vice is Vice is really an angry movie. Vice is angrier than The Big Short, because The Big Short, as angry as it was, wanted to teach you something. As like we were talking about earlier, you know, wanted to teach you how the economy collapsed. Mm-hmm. But Vice thinks you already know this. <laughs> Vice <laughs> assumes you're already on its side. <laughs> And so it's in full-on attack mode from frame one, uh, which has its own pleasures, believe me. Uh, but Carell is superb in it. So Steve Carell, first up on the list. Next up, Ethan Hawke. We talked about it before. Spectacularly here in First Reformed, one of the frontrunners for the Best Actor Oscar. He also directed a movie this year. Hmm. He directed a movie called Blaze, which is a biopic of Blaze Foley, the country songwriter uh, who was <laughs> – Recorded sporadically uh, before in his uh, his abbreviated life had had a song of his covered by Willie Nelson. Um, so Blaze, I really like a lot. I think it's a really interesting music biopic. This this is the kind of movie that Walk Hard was supposed to kill, <laughs> <laughs> and it it's especially maddening because watching Bohemian Rhapsody become this gigantic cultural thing that people have responded to <laughs> when it is exactly the movie that walk hard was supposed to kill <laughs> and this really other interesting music biopic that nobody saw uh that's really beautifully made it has an amazing lead performance by a guy named ben dickey who i do not know anything about he's a musician as well i know nothing about him i hadn't seen him before it's a it's actually my favorite lead performance this year by an actor uh it's a really great movie uh it's out there you can find it but yes 
that's Ethan Hawke's double play this year that really worked well. Up next, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill gave a really great supporting performance in a movie called Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, which was Gus Van Zandt's movie this year about, based on a true story about a, based on actually a memoir by a a famous cartoonist who lived in Portland who was a paraplegic. He uh, Mm. lost the use of his legs when he was involved in a drunk driving accident. And uh, Jonah Hill plays the the uh, the twelve step guru who sort of helps him get over his alcoholism. Uh, it's a really interesting performance from Jonah Hill. He's never done anything quite like it. It's a very uh, it's a very quiet, subdued performance, um, almost spiritual. Like that's what he's trying to evoke. The character is trying to evoke all the time that he just he knows things. <laughs> he's not nerdy and quiet like he is in Moneyball, and he's not anxious and frantic like he is in Wolf of Wall Street. It's a different color from Jonah Hill, and I really liked it. I think it's a really sweet performance. And he also uh, made his directorial debut this year with a film called Mid-90s that I liked it. I liked it a bunch. I think it's a really great first film from someone who's obviously seen way too many movies. <laughs> That's a compliment. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he just knows how to synthesize a lot of the great films and make them his own. He's not quoting when he steals from like great French filmmakers. He's just saying, no, this works. So I'm going to use this. And that's what really great directors do. Uh, so I'm excited to see what he does next. He was uh, also, uh, also in a, a Netflix show that uh, looked vaguely interesting that I haven't seen. Maniac, right? Yeah. I, I haven't watched it. Past the first 20 minutes. <laughs> I haven't watched I it. Anyway, it so. like 20 minutes in, and I was like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't have time for this. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Up next, Zoe Kazan. Zoe Kazan, of course, the granddaughter of the great director Ilya Kazan. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is the uh, she's one of the stars of the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Again, another Netflix movie, the Coen Brothers western this year. By the way, that, 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 different... that movie, by the way, is one of the most depressingest movies I've seen in a long time. Oh, sweet! I gotta watch it, <laughs> dude. You you guys would uh, Perry, you've seen it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it, the, the. Oh yeah. I'm not not to be spoiler alert, but the the story involving the woman on the or, on the trail, on the Oregon Trail, and that's and that's Zoe Kazan. Yeah, that's she, exactly who we're talking about. Yeah, she. Yeah. Okay, yeah, the, she did a really good job. But I mean, I I I actually paused the movie after that. I'm like, what just what just happened? What just happened? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. It's um. It's a dark, dark set of stories. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, I can't wait. There isn't yeah. a lot of fun once you get past the first one. <laughs> yeah, James uh, or, John, or James Franco's was my one of my my personal favorite. A good day. anytime I could see um, the uh, God, oh, God. Stephen Root. Yeah, Stephen Root with all the cans <laughs> and him running out there. Tan like shot. The, yeah, tan, tan yeah, shot. Tan shot. Yeah, that was that was fantastic. <laughs> but uh, but even 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 in the minute the uh, the guy from the Highlander and. Um, uh, uh, the the, the uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption, the guard. Uh, forgot the actor's name. Uh, got, uh, he was he, he was in the opening sequence when uh he got shot, and then that was also huh. yeah, it was very uh, brutal. When he uses the yeah, uh, yeah Clancy he, Brown, yeah, 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 Clancy Brown, yeah, especially when he uses the board. Yeah, anyways, dark, dark movie. One of the darkest movies yeah. I've seen in a long time. If nothing else, everybody cue up just the first story. 
because the first story is the most accessible. It's the it's the Coen brothers having the most fun with this. It's also interestingly enough, from what I've heard in interviews with them, the oldest story. These stories go way back with them. They've been working on them over the years, just kind of been collecting them. Uh, and that story is twenty five years old, and it it shows it's it's a very young Coen brothers movie. <laughs> um, but in addition to co-starring in that movie, Zoe Kazan wrote a really good movie called Wildlife that was directed by her, I can't remember if they're married or not, uh, but she's, she's been with Paul Dano, the actor, for a very long time, and uh, Dano fell in love with this book uh, by uh, Richard Ford called Wildlife and wanted to make this movie, and Zoe's actually a very good writer, and so they wrote the script together and uh, he directed it. It's Jake Gyllenhaal, and Terry Mulligan, who I think gives the best, one of the best performances by an actress I've seen this year. She's great in that movie. And it's about, it's about a family that's sort of falling apart in, uh, in, on the West Coast in, when a giant forest fire breaks out and the dad runs away to go fight the fire. Who's, he's lost his job recently, and so this is what he chooses to do. Um, it's a really good movie. It's worth checking out. It's a really good first film. And again, it's, uh, it shows another great side of Zoe Kazan's really remarkable talent. And last up on this list, we have an actor I love, an actor I'm always happy to see, Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> had a really good year. Um, he, had, he had three movies. I liked all of them. But the two that I want to talk about here are, one of them we talked about already, he was actually the lead in Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. He played the cartoonist who gets into the car accident because he's a drunk and loses his legs and then learns to work through that and his art. Um, it's a really funny movie. Check it out sometime. But he did another really strange movie, which is available now on Prime, called You Were Never Really Here. This movie came out a long time ago, uh, back in the early spring, I want to say. Uh, this is a film from Lynn Ramsey, who makes uh, incredible... <laughs> she makes incredibly off-putting movies. And I mean that in a good way. They're psychologically disturbing. <laughs> That's what she specializes in. She made that movie, We Need to Talk About Kevin, a few years ago. I don't know if oh, I yeah. saw We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, I haven't liked her most recent stuff as much as her earlier stuff, but uh, this is a tale of a dude who, um, well, when you first meet him, he's played by Joaquin Phoenix, he's, uh, he's walking around with a hammer that's dripping blood, <laughs> and there's a body on the floor <laughs> and lots of creepy stuff is going on <laughs> and it it slowly pieces together what's happening it's a film that doesn't come right out and tell you what's going on um i i i thought the film way overstays i i think it could i i would have liked some work on this script a little bit but it's a really interesting movie and he's fantastic in it it's a really great performance it's streaming on amazon now check it out you were never really here. And that sums up the year of 2018, a great year in movies, gentlemen. Very, very enlightening, very good. Yes. I appreciate that, Perry. I, I take it wildlife did not surpass, uh, I pronounce you Chuck and Larry, is the most the highest grossing firefighting movie of all time. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. wait. It, did, it did not. What about, uh, what about Backdraft, Chris? That's, that's a, yeah. I was going to say no. that Backdraft probably has the most. No, I think we were, I, I thought I brought that up before. I was randomly looking up the backdraft. Did you look uh, at <laughs> Wikipedia? And that's what the the fact it was in the Wikipedia blurb was. It was the highest grossing film about firefighting until I pronounce you Chuck and Larry, which, <laughs> I bet which I've was, never I seen, bet and I didn't think it was about firefighting. Be higher. What's that? With inflation? 
I bet if you adjusted for inflation, it would still yeah. be higher. We'd have to go look at the numbers on that. Also, it no would, love I, for ladder twenty nine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that's probably the Talk highest. That has to be the highest grossing William Baldwin movie, right? <laughs> I don't know. How did Sliver do? I, I think that's very true. I think that's very true. Yes, in the brief period of time in which Billy Baldwin was a movie star, yes. I feel comfortable saying Backdraft was his biggest hit. Good call on Slitter, though, Chris. I forgot that he was in that movie. That's, that's, that was one of those that was always on cable all the time, too. It was always on HBO. Yeah, I mean, it was a very important movie for me as a young teenage boy. Yes, it was. Um, <laughs> but it was. I, I'm pretty sure it was a piece of shit. Yeah, and also the um, the remake of UB40's, uh, or Elvis, or excuse me, Elvis's yeah. I Can't Follow With. That video was on all the fucking time that summer. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. I, just remember, I just remember that song, and then I just think of the moments, and then when that movie stopped becoming popular, they got rid of the cutaway scenes, and it made for a very awkward, uh, awkward music video. So uh, it didn't date very well. It didn't. It didn't age very well with that. But uh, yeah, there's uh, no. This is, has been a good movie, a good year for movies. Uh, Perry, thanks so much. And and I'm trying to also think of just uh, comic book movies. There's Aquaman coming out this weekend, which I guess has been getting some good reviews so far. Uh, it's not directed by Zack Snyder, is it? No, thank God. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, is my movie going experience now is kind of colored by what I could possibly see with my son. Um, so I kind of want to, I want to go see a Wreck-It Ralph. I want to go see uh, Spider-Man and I want to go see Aquaman. Although I don't know if any of those are appropriate for a five-year-old. No, I, I, I those... hear amazing things about the Spider-Man film. Yeah. Same here. And, and Chris, I want to see those. Movies. I love Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph is one of my favorite Disney movies. Uh, some of those are the same movies I want to see. I, I'm just trying to think of like the last. I'm trying to think of the last movie I saw in the theater recently, and I'm drawing a blank. Um, no, I, we went to see the house with the clock in its walls, or whatever, uh, which was just a terrible decision. <laughs> it was a terrible decision to take a four year old to that. I I didn't realize how damn dark it would get. Like I, you know, I had just seen Goosebumps with Jack Black. I'm like, here, he's another Halloween movie. It'll probably be nice and fun <laughs> and light. It just wasn't at all. <laughs> It was bad. No, it, the movie makes sense for about thirty minutes, and then it stops making sense. And yeah, that was the thing. Like even be beyond Eli like Roth the fact that it was Eli Roth. Yeah, even beyond that it was inappropriate for him. Like halfway through, I'm like, "What is going on in this movie? Like, no, I don't understand. <laughs> this is not good." And then there's demons in the forest licking blood out of his palm, and I'm like, "All right, time to go." So. <laughs> and then Kate Blanchett shows up, and I'm interested again. She's that yes. powerful. I She's love her. Yes, she is. Galadriel. <laughs> if any, I mean, if anything, I will say this. I've been watching some of the. I finally watched uh, the Robert De Niro classic, uh, Once Upon a Time. I, I actually watched that for the first time this year. Oh, Upon a Time in America? Yeah, Once Upon a Time in America. And, and James. Noodle. Yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was one of those movies that I knew that was a classic. You know, I was start watching movies that I never watched before. They, uh, Orson, Netflix has been releasing a lot of. Uh, Orson Welles films. Uh, I watched a documentary on Orson Welles, the movie that that he never made. Mm-hmm. That was a very good documentary. I, uh, the other that, side of the wind. The other side of the wind. Yeah. Yes, that was a very well done documentary. Uh, and then I watched. Wait, is that the movie that yeah, the one that came out this year? The documentary. Yeah. I thought that I thought oh. there was an Orson Welles movie that. 
That's yeah. So the other side of the wind was the last movie that he never finished. Um, yeah. <laughs> and there's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and then yes, in a, they, so they Peter Bogdanovich and a couple other people basically finished the movie to the specifications that were left behind, maybe <laughs> by Orson Welles. But then there was a very good documentary made about how the movie came about and how it collapsed and how it came back together again. And that was called, was it like, uh, the love me when I'm gone. Yeah. The love, me, the love me when I'm dead. Yeah. The love you when you're like dead. That. That's yeah. the documentary. Which is well, yeah, Chris, if you get a chance to watch that, it's well, well done. And, and they're the, uh, first Orson movie I started with, uh, Orson Welles movie was him playing a, a Nazi in disguise in, uh, I think it was Connecticut or in, I forgot somewhere in the Northwest in the Northeast. And, uh, yeah, does that's it, a good movie. Yeah, that that dude. That's a that was very well done. So, watch and spend more of the the classics. I just have not like outside of. I'm trying to think. Of, I can't. I drawn a blank on the last movie I watched in the theater. But there's been a. I'm, I'm I'm glad that Netflix is cultivating this older kind of getting some of the those kind of movies that you don't really think about, but they're there kind of moments movies. If if you're going through the well stuff, the Touch of Evil's on there right now too, and Touch of Evil is an incredibly fun movie. And the last, the last great, well, no, sorry, the next to last great film that Wells directed. <laughs> the, uh, check that out. That's that's still on Netflix right now. It, I promise you, Roger, you'll really enjoy it. All right, I'll have to, yeah, I think I think I have it on my queue too because I, I was trying to because uh, in, in this issue I, I got the Best Buy had a deal where you could get uh, six uh, Hitchcock movies for like thirty bucks and. This year, nice. I, I watched a movie where he, in which uh, James uh, Stewart plays a guy who broke his leg, and he's watching all these crimes unfold from his uh, rear window, right? Rear, window. rear window. Yeah, that was a great movie, and I, and I just watched North by Northwest. So, no, uh, yeah, those are uh, for me. Hitchcock doesn't get better than Rear Window. That's my favorite Hitchcock film, uh, and North by Northwest is so much fun, and is of course pretty much the only film I can think of in the history of American cinema to name check both Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti. Gotta love that. Yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah, I'll say it for you guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess while we're maybe to bring it back to baseball just a little bit before we wrap it up, uh, and you've given us a ton of fantastic uh, film ideas for people who I, I'm taking two weeks off around the holidays so I can hang out and watch a bunch of stuff. Um, Penny Marshall just died, which led to a, a Twitter discussion about the best move baseball movies of all time. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were talking about uh, A League of Their Own being in the top five, which uh, yeah, I'll buy that. It might scrape the bottom of a top five, sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I still think Bull Durham is the best. A lot of, a lot, a lot of hatred out there for Field of Dreams. I still enjoy it. Yeah, I like it too. I have to admit, I'm a fan. Although, see, Bull Durham is an obvious number one, and then the solid number two for me is Bad News Bears. Like that's yeah. that's the one-two punch of baseball movies. That's that's all I need. And you know, there's a lot of major league fans too. Um, so. True, a lot of fan lot fans. <laughs> no, I uh, anyway. I know I'm a big fan of Bad News Bears. Is yeah, one that's. Perry, that's one of my all-time favorite movies. Period. But just, I love. I mean, in terms of baseball, but like the remake, I'm like usually remakes. I'm, I'm like whatever. I, I could care less about them. But when I heard about the remake, I even, I even thought no idea of no, no notion in my head. No, nobody, no, 
not a single soul could drag me to watch that piece of crap. I'm sorry. It looked like a piece of crap. It probably was a piece of crap. I mean, Billy Bob Thornton, Greg Kinnear, yeah, 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 yeah. Nah, nah. Give me Walter Matthau <laughs> all day, every day. Uh, and I think in terms of baseball movies, they're underrated, though. I think an underrated movie really is – I mean, I, you know, I actually think an overrated movie is Rookie of the Year. I think that movie's terrible. I, I've never I, – I liked it when I was like – I liked it, and then I kind of – when I watched it back again, I just – it's a waste of Daniel Stern. I mean, Daniel Stern is probably the best. He directed part of it, didn't he? Did he direct it? He did. It? Wow. He did. He directed it. Uh, especially because when you see that foul ball, you see the hand in the shot take the ball up in the air. If you look closely, you see the hand that throws the ball up in the air if you look at it closely. So, uh, my, uh, you know, I mean, that's the one thing about baseball is it makes for more than any other sport, it makes for weird fantasy movies. There's like a dozen of them. Yeah. Like a, a, where, a, a, you know, a 12 year old inherits the twins and decides to be their manager. You know, it just, uh, I don't know what it is about baseball, but I think it's kind of fun. I will take, I will take rookie of the year over the remake of Angels in the Outfield. Uh, every time. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Which I, I've never that's bothered a very to see. Bar. It's a very, very low bar. Wait a minute. Uh, I'll take the surprise. I'll take the movie without Tony Danza in it. Okay, <laughs> not a surprise. That was the that was when the Angels logo. That was like their their logo purgatory. Like when the the, the Tigers had the uh, the, tiger the actual going, tiger crawling yeah. through the D. Yeah. <laughs> it was that t- Chris. Correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. Isn't that when they had like that kind of powder blue look to them too? Yeah, yeah. I think they were owned by Disney or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The uh... yeah. Also, A Man Out is one of my favorite. I think it's underrated too, but A Man Out is one of my favorite baseball. Movies. That's a great movie. That's so, a great movie. Uh, so to play us out, by the way, uh, I do have Wise Guy by Joe Pesci, which is off the album Vincent Laguardia Gambati sings just for you. So it's inspired by our conversation <laughs> earlier. So you you'll be hearing it underneath <laughs> us. So uh, as we fade out for the wow, you know what, Chris? They're sampling Blondie's. Uh, Hard glass, really? Yeah. Oh God! Like that? Or not? That, is it? No, it's uh, the five. Oh, is it? Rapture? Yeah, Rapture. Sorry, Rapture. Yeah. So yeah. you guys won't be able to hear it till tomorrow, but he's a wise guy. Yeah. But um, that's special. Yeah. So the uh, <laughs> so that will end our 2018 Tigers SRD season. I want to thank everybody, every guest we've had, every person who's commented and, and provided all the. Great uh, commentary back and forth on Twitter. We really appreciate it. Some big plans for 2019. Got my fingers crossed on a possibility for us to do a live show in January, but hopefully we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, Perry, thank you so much. Uh, look forward to your Oscar show. We'll definitely be doing an Oscar show, how the Oscars shape up and what have you. And so uh, where can we find your latest work? Uh, you can follow me at Perry Loves Film on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Facebook as well. Uh, you can hear me on Ann Arbor Radio 1290 WLBY every Friday morning at about 9.45-ish on the Lucien Lance Show, talking about something new this week. And I'm very excited to report. I'll have more details later, but uh, I have a little podcast project of my own that should be getting underway in the new year. Awesome. So I'll come back on to chat about it with you guys. Sweet. Yeah, man. We'll, we'll, we'll be plugging that away and... Uh... Anything to get get it out there, so uh, it's awesome. And uh, 
Yeah, so Chris and I will be back literally next year. That stupid joke never gets old. Uh, we'll be yeah, we're back probably in the New Year. Uh, we'll probably yeah, we'll take it next week off to uh, catch up on some movies and uh, be jamming the wise guys. Uh, I'm telling you guys, when you guys hear this tomorrow, you guys are like you guys are gonna thank me. I'm gonna actually put the link on our pa- podcast to follow it. And uh, yeah, we'll be talking tigers and more in 2019. Until then, we'll see you. <laughs>